Episode 64, Neil Falora. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. Hey, it's Nikki back on Gut Plus Science, and you're never going to guess what we're doing today. We're dissecting your brain. Well, kind of. We're talking to Neil Falora, the founder of the Brain Warrior Method, and Neil combines the metaphysics and the science of rewiring the brain, and let me just tell you, this episode gets deep, to forgive the past and unleash the powerful present. So how can things like self-awareness, mindfulness, and meditation impact you as a leader and ultimately infiltrate changes that you've been really trying to manifest in the workplace? It all starts with your brain. So let's find out how from Neil. Today, we're diving deep. We're talking about the neurochemistry of our brain. It's never our biology that holds us back. It's our mind. We've heard that a lot. Our mind is powerful. It's a powerful tool. When we know how to maximize it, we can accomplish our dreams. Today, we are here with Neil Flora, the brain warrior. Neil, welcome to the show. There's a lot of buzz about mindfulness in the workplace today. What is mindfulness and why is it important for leaders to understand it and and to embrace it? Well, Nikki, thank you for having me today, and that is a fantastic question, and I am so looking forward to expounding on that, but before we go down that road, I'd like to take maybe a couple steps back and talk about the brain and how it functions before we dive into the concept of mindfulness. So a couple things that we should know about the brain sort of in general is we can sort of divide up the brain into three major areas. We can think about our thinking brain, that's the brain that you're listening to me or our listeners are listening to us right now with, this processing. You can think about the emotional brain, also sometimes called the limbic brain. And that's the brain that's going to, of course, store and release emotions. It's also the part of the brain that releases powerful neurochemicals. And then the last part is our unconscious or subconscious brain, rather. And that's sort of in the back of our head here. And that brain is um, not accessible to us. But interestingly enough, 98% of how are you going to react in any situation is hardwired into that old brain, into that unconscious brain in the back. So the brain now we see functions more like networks rather than just having one concrete area that does everything. So I'd like to just touch on those four networks briefly. So our default network is the network that can transcend, be in a different place in time. It's the one that can detach But it's really, really important because it is the network when you really are offline that's going to take the existing knowledge and start processing in the background. It uses a tremendous amount of information. It's the part of the brain that gives us our eureka moments. So then we have the reward network, which all of us are very, very familiar with um, because all of us get Amazon packages to our door now, (laughs) at least a semi-weekly basis. And that network is more than just about being uh, actually survival type skills. It is about secondary type rewards like status, approval, fairness. People who in organizations who see that things are being divided equitably, even people who are privileged and may not have things equitably divided between them because they get more or more demotivated by the reward network. Sharing information is strongly accentuating the reward network as well. 
So, and finding goals that are less stringent, not ones that are really stringent, are part of the reward network. So, and then that moves us finally into the effect network, which is our feelings-based network. Now here, the really interesting thing is, is that we often think about our feelings and we don't really think about what causes those feelings. Feelings are a change in heart rate, temperature, a voice of a coworker, and your brain will tag certain things in the environment and then it will use these tags to make decisions quickly. So it'll basically bypass the conscious thinking and go into the pre-conscious, as we might call it, and allow you to make um, decisions quickly. So one place that I feel really vindicated is that, you know, in this research now, we're showing that gut hunches, that intuition, those kinds of things, it's like, how do we bring those into the workplace and how do we discuss them? How do we make a workplace that is safe to discuss doubts, fears at work? And then finally, our control network is the network that actually has us competing against our default network. And it's the one that keeps us on task, that keeps us agile, that lets us focus and accomplish things. It's the one that, that we need to keep in check and not oversaturate such that it will get fatigued and then we can't really focus on work anymore. So am I safe to say that there's a lot of chemistry that we have to understand about our mind in order to, I guess, fully be able to embrace mindfulness? Absolutely. So my style and my belief is, is that as you understand your biology and your brain, you can demystify it in a way that you don't have to feel like that you're being controlled by it or feel like that you're being frustrated by it. You can understand it and create a space to actually use it or hack it, if you will. So why is mindfulness a, a big buzzword today, I guess? And why is it important for leaders to understand and embrace it? So, I mean, I think first and foremost, one of the things that leaders want in their, in their organizations are, are for people to be responsive and to rally around what it is that's a shared mission, vision, the goals of the company. The challenging part about that is, is that it's often done because especially at organizations that have larger employee bases, processes are scalable. So they're not tailoring to individual needs. They're sort of trimming the individuality of people so that they can get things done faster and quicker. The tone that the leader sets in the organization, basically whatever they model is going to be sort of to get into the metaphysical here, what the vibration is going to go from the top down. And so mindfulness first and foremost for the leader is one way in which they can model what kind of culture they want in the employees of others. And mindfulness is a way that you can actually practice those ways of being by centering yourself. So leaders can embrace this in the workplace by one, first they have to do the work themselves. And certainly having their own mindfulness program is really, really important. There are studies that have been done on the brain that show that as you do the meditation, you actually increase the gray matter centers of your brain. Two quick areas that are really important are the anterior cingulate cortex. And that's a place where it's regulation, uh, self-regulation, but it suppresses inappropriate knee-jerk responses. It switches and helps you be flexible. The other place is your hippocampus. That's right where your temples are. And this is really important because this place in your brain really functions on cortisol. And when you're in high stress situations, it decreases your ability to be in emotion and have memory. So 
being mindful actually can increase the hippocampus area and allow you to be more socially aware of emotions and also have better memory. And Neil, you teach a concept called brain fitness, right? What is that? So brain fitness is uh, a combination of many different techniques that basically what we're trying to do at its core is to be able to not let ourselves be hijacked by the things that come up in our environment. So when we relate back to something that might trigger us or that we might have triggers for, concept explained simply as this, is that if you had a dog that bit you in your past, you might have that memory of that and that might come up for you as a result of having that fear of dogs. The same thing happens in the workplace as we have things that trigger us. It might be a competing coworker. It, it might be how you feel about your own personal skill set. Brain fitness is a way in which you can shepherd your thoughts, feelings, and emotions so that you can be a neutral observer in a way that you can have the most empowering outcome for yourself and those people around you. And learning how to, it's a matter of not just mindfulness, it's meditation, it's NLP techniques, it's affirmations, but it all functions around one core principle, and that's emotion. Emotion is the sort of cryptocurrency of our mind and our body. And learning how to feel your emotions, release your emotions, and use your emotions is a core principle of mind fitness. Actually, let's go there with emotion for a second. I think in the past, there was like this faux pas around, you know, showing any emotion at work. And we've taken a big leap. You know, the show is all about employee engagement and building human relationships, leaders really connecting with their people and building out really, you know, connected teams. So when you think of leaders that use emotion well, what does that look like? Kind of describe that for us. Really, one of the things that, and this sort of gets into engagement or high engagement within organizations, is that these employ these leaders actually exhibit strong connection to their employees. They're fostering this strong affinity to the work, that people within the work environment feel a real connection to one another. What they're basically doing is a few basic principles that have been there for a long time, but you know, 55% of CEOs still feel like that trust is a threat in their workplace. And when they foster this idea of trust, trust being such an important part, having such an important ROI in an organization, they do it in certain ways. They recognize ex excellence, right? They take people and immediately after or in some sort of ceremony, they're showing their appreciation for somebody who's gone above and beyond. They do challenge people, but they challenge people in a way that's, that's achievable. 76% of employees said their best days were when they were working towards a goal. And a leader helps motivate that by applying a achievable task, but then leaving the task and how it gets accomplished to the actual individual people. Giving people discretion on how they work and letting them be able to figure it out. In a 2014 Citigroup poll, LinkedIn poll, employees said they would give up a 20% raise if they could have greater control on how they work. Another thing is enabling them to do job crafting, how they're going to work, which projects they're going to address. And the one that I always found really was really um, important, and I used to share with my management when I was in corporate America, is just spreading information. So 
40% of employees just don't are not well informed and they are chronically stressed because they don't feel like that they are in the know or what's coming next. And this chronic stress inhibits oxytocin. And really all of these principles that I'm outlining here, which include facilitating um, whole person growth and showing vulnerability at work, all of these have to do with oxytocin. And oxytocin is the thing that decreases fear, increases empathy, and that's how you can bring the workplace together, but you can also increase engagement. Let's go down this path of chronic stress for a minute. Cause I, I mean, I read a lot that this is a pretty big deal in the workplace today. I guess a couple of um, questions. One is how do leaders recognize that in employees? And I guess, what is the impact on the business when we are running teams of people that are operating in chronic stress? You know, we talked about this control network versus the default network. The control network is the one that sort of lines us up, allows us to get our goals done. And it is really, really intelligent in the way it will keep us on task, but not so much on task that we can't take in additional stimuli so that, you know, as things changes, we can change our needs, our resources on the fly because things come at us, right? Nothing is linear at work. But the challenge becomes is that many organizations are competing on the basis of doing so many concurrent tasks that we get into overwhelm. So what happens as a result of that is that the control network then starts to go into overdrive and it becomes sort of numb or on autopilot. And then you're just doing whatever comes in front of you. So we've all experienced this. You start scrolling through Facebook or checking every email that comes up and you're unfocused. And so I think managers can start to actually go around and do a litmus test. I mean, the, one of the things in getting more intimacy and vulnerability is to going, going to people during a project, different ports of the project, beginning, middle and end and surveying in between and saying, how's it going? How are you, how are you dealing with the work? How's the team doing? Asking multiple people from that. It's like, well, you know, if they find that people's wheels are spinning, then they can see that, okay, maybe there's, they've set something up here that's too overachieving for the team and there's too much on their plate. Or maybe this team needs to offload a project or, or park a project so that we can focus. So really the goal here is to, to compete on focus rather than can compete on breadth and depth of number of projects. Let's talk about innovation next. It's a core outcome of engaged employees. And as we know, unfortunately, the majority of employees aren't engaged in their work. And really, that's the mission of the show to impact that. But why, Neil, do you think innovation is so challenging in the workplace today? Well, I think innovation is really challenging in the workplace today because number one, people as a whole, our brains kind of resist change. And so that's just sort of how we're set up. I'm sure there's a spectrum out there. I experienced that in my first go-ins with corporate America. It was sort of kind of shocking to me how much people would resist change. So there's one component there that we don't speak tribally. We don't have programs. We don't round the tables and talk about, okay, how do you feel about change? What are the things that come up for you when we talk about this change? We implement a change. We try to implement new practices, new innovative things in the company, but we're not going to individual employees or roundtabling as managers and saying, okay, how has this changed? How do you see it? Is it stressful for you? If it's stressful for you, why, why is that? 
and exchanging the thoughts and emotions just by simply releasing that, that would be really, really an amazing release for the employees and helps them move through the change process rather than just sort of thrusting it upon them. I think the other thing here is that we have companies that often, because we have policies that are scalable, we hire, we manage employees by scalable, large type of practices, but we don't, we're not looking at the diversity. We're not hiring for diversity. And so all of our employees tend to look one way because the company is looking one way. And again, how your management thinks, feels, and sets the tone will also train the brains of your listeners. And there's an interesting neural principle. We don't have to get into that, but their minds tend to mirror one another. They're mirror neurons and spindle cells. And we can show this in biology that we have this sort of monkey see monkey do forgive me for that analogy so how do we get more diversity in the workplace how do we get more neurodiversity is a question we should start asking that's really good we've had a couple of episodes that really touch on diversity and and strategic plans for that and i love that you're reiterating how important it is i'd love for you to break down neil one or two simple suggestions to move the needle on innovation on a team so for all of these leaders that are listening like what's one or two things that they could do to drive the needle forward if you want to compete in an innovative fashion you need to be able to allow your people to decompress the sort of kryptonite for innovation is the fact that we're also overwhelmed at work and overwhelm produces cortisol, cortisol produces stress, and that puts us into our reptilian brain. And that takes away from creativity and the ability to absorb information. So having true time and space in the workplace where people can do whatever it is they want so they can get back to the default network so they can rest their brain so they can do 10 minutes of meditation, whatever it looks like for them is going to increase your productivity dramatically by letting the brain have that unfocused time. Recently, we did a special episode on the importance of rest. Scientifically speaking, Implify has found that rest is key to employee engagement. And as leaders, we have to encourage this. But on the brain side, I'm really curious from you, Neil, what happens when we don't rest from our work and how when we do rest, does it help our brain? Rest is basically the middleman between all of these different networks in the brain. And it's the, it's the overwhelm that really allows us or doesn't allow us to function optimally anymore. The struggle here becomes is that when we get to, when we get to a place where we're not rest, we go to a more primitive brain. And located in the primitive brain usually are all these trauma loops, things that we subconscious conversations we get more impulsive also because now our reward our reward network is unchecked and so we do things that you know like getting on our phones like fiddling around with email or doing things that give us momentary hits of pleasure so for resting from a brain's perspective is so important because it gives the brain a downtime to not only replenish all the neurotransmitters in your brain, but to have that downtime so that the default network can process all of those things that you've interacted in a day. So those transcendent moments, we that's why often somebody who's very adept at meditating can meditate for a short period of time and it can mimic several hours of sleep. Well, resting allows us to bring the brain into that default network such that we can have time to rebalance the reward center, the affect center, and 
control and have control over our emotions, remember that the less we rest, the more our hippocampus, which is the area that controls some of our memory and our emotions and our limbic brain or amygdaloid brain, they get larger over time. We can show this on MRI. So that's the damaging part of not getting rest. When we do get rest, we actually are able to keep those areas in check and actually help them be of a size that is manageable for our life, but most productive for our life as well. Thanks, Neil. I really loved about learning about the science of the brain and how it ties to our engagement at work. And I truly think this was our most deep dive show, if you will. So thanks so much for the education and just great tips. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor message today, and we're going to come back with what we call our lightning round, where we'll get to learn just a little bit more about you. We'll be right back. Are you still using Pulse surveys? How about annual questionnaires? If your organization relies on either of these, it's time to discover Amplify. Amplify has created a new way to measure employee engagement. It's where CEOs who want to know what's really happening within a workforce go to get honest feedback and to understand what needs to change for people to love their work. Companies that have used Amplify have increased productivity by as much as 30% in just three months. Best of all, it's not just data that Amplify provides. Executives get hands-on coaching with engagement specialists, people who know exactly what to do with the data. To see their latest research on employee engagement, visit Amplify.com. All right, Neil, we're back on Gut Plus Science. So Neil, I've got a few questions to put you on the spot with what we call our lightning round. So I know this is a tough one because you're a big reader, but if you could pick out your favorite book or you know the best one you've read recently, what would you recommend to our listeners? I would recommend Energy Codes by Dr. Sue Mortar. Uh, it's probably the most integrative book I've read on all the things that I've accumulated over time. Just phenomenal. I got the chance to meet her here in Carmel where I live, and it is just amazing. And knowing what I know about you and also reading that book, it's so your world. It's like if I could have picked any book that I know, that's the one I would have picked, would have picked out. So if you want to go deeper on learning all of this, that is such a great book to really you know connect deeper on this topic. Neil, how about a favorite vacation spot? Favorite vacation spot by far was Greece. We spent two weeks in Greece and uh, um, that was, yeah, just totally amazing. And how about a favorite hobby when you're not working? Favorite hobby when I'm not working is actually I love to sing, dance, and I'm pretty, pretty musical, so I'm picking my guitar back up. So I find that very therapeutic. And Neil, how can our listeners connect with you after the show today? They can find me at my web address at thebrainwarrior.com. Instagram is The Brain Warrior. And if they'd like to email directly, it's my first name, N-E-A-L, at thebrainwarrior.com. All right, Neil. Yes, that was the deepest episode we've ever had uh, on Gut Plus Science. So uh, here's my truth you can act on. Number one, understand your biology. As leaders, when you start to understand the biology behind your brain, you can demystify it in a way that you don't have to feel like you're being controlled by it. So Neil recommends meditation as a tool to combat that stressed or overwhelmed feeling that may be coming up on a regular basis. Number two, emotion. So releasing and using your emotions is a core principle of mindfulness. And I think us being okay to embrace the fact that we have emotions 
come up at any time, especially in the workplace and taking time to feel, feel the things that are coming up and, and, um, em- embrace those. And number three, how can stress impact your workplace? Well, if your people are overwhelmed at work, their brain produces cortisol, which results in stress and takes away creativity and the ability to absorb information. So have space where your people can rest their brains to feel refreshed. So, um, stress can impact the workplace in really big ways. And we've got to have places for our people to rest and recharge. Really great stuff, Neil. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week, guys, on Gut Plus Science. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.